So uh, welcome to Spirit Seekers. Uh, I'll be introducing Bruce and Amy just briefly and just but appreciation to both of you for preparing for this. The idea here is to um, help us, hi Ann, uh, get to know each other better and uh, to provide a forum for life storytelling and, and discussing our spiritual journeys and to involve different people in uh, many different people in doing the interviewing and, you know, obviously a variety of people being interviewed. Um, and um, so my task has been, is the organizer to recruit the folks to be the interviewers and the interviewees and uh, Michael Samara, who's right here with me. Hey, Michael Samara. <laughs> Michael um, directed a program called Spirit Seekers at St. Michael's for a couple of years. And um, it, now they did have the advantage of meeting over lunch, um, but it, it was really a nice gathering at St. Mike's and to help build relationships in that community. So we're, we're excited to uh, do a similar kind of version here, although we're you know doing it in the age of Zoom. So um, the format is... Um, an opening prayer and a little opening statement, then uh, Amy and Bruce, who've already had some conversation, will, um, Amy will interview Bruce about his life stories and spiritual journey. And then we will open up uh, the conversation for discussion after that. So I look forward to it. Feel free to take notes or something to remind you something you want to ask about. Um, but the, the, the goals here are uh, clear this this forum for sharing with a goal of getting to know each other better and that we might nurture faith in each other um, and it, at the same time embrace the questions of our faith and the greater questions of life. A um, op little opening prayer to share with you. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts draw us closer to the spirit of love, compassion, understanding, peace, and goodness that we seek. Um, so I would like to ask everybody to mute yourselves during the interview. I'm going to do that also. And um, then Amy and Bruce, um, please introduce yourselves to everybody and have fun. Great. Great. So everybody mute except Bruce and Amy. Well, thank you for this opportunity to not only get to know Bruce better, but to get to get the chance to be in community together and learn about faith as a as a as a group. With with today, uh, Bruce helping us to to learn more through his own personal uh, journey. Uh, just a, a little, perhaps uh, unknown fact, uh, Bruce and I are related. Uh, my husband, Charlie, is his half-nephew. Is that correct, Bruce? Did I say that right? Yes. Yes. I don't consider Charlie half-nephew, though. We're, I consider... we're all family. We're 100% we're family. <laughs> Um, and so maybe I'll have Bruce introduce himself by through sort of the first question. And um, Bruce and I had a chance to talk a little bit this week, but um, I think you'll find, and I certainly found, that his, his memories and some stories from his, his youth and his younger days um, 
really have nurtured and formed him. So maybe introduce us, Bruce, um, and tell us a little bit about how your faith journey got started in your, your early years. Well, I'm, I would, uh, I'll just talk a little bit about myself for a moment, and then I will go back to the, the really heavy, serious stuff, which goes back to when I was just five years old. So I'll, I'll simply say I've had a really good life. I've had a very privileged upbringing. I grew up in New Jersey. I got, had a great education. I had uh, wonderful parents. I was in a loving family. I received all the support I ever needed all the way along the line. And I had a good education. And while I was in college, I had a summer job with Pan American World Airways as a flight attendant. And I flew all around the world when I was 19 and 20 years old. I would go down at the end of May to New York and I'd get on a 707 and I'd fly to London and on to uh, Tehran and on to uh, Bangkok and back through Johannesburg, South Africa, anywhere. I saw the world as, as a summer employee cooking meals on a 707 for summers. That was 1959 and 1960. And ever since, I've enjoyed travel and I've enjoyed different cultures and I've had a positive outlook on life. Now we can go back to the real serious stuff, which is underlying my spirit. I had a half-brother who was a, dropped out of college to join the Navy in about 1942, and he was being trained as a pilot with the United States Navy, and he crashed with another plane and went down in flames and was killed. That was in April of 1943. And I knew him and I have pictures of him with me and I would put, take his Navy cap and put it on, you know, and he was my big brother. He was a half brother. Uh, but it was a terrible, terrible, terrible time for my father. His name was George Frederick Hewitt III. My father was George Frederick Hewitt Jr. That was in April of 1943 that he was killed. And my father's grief was unimaginable. My mother, who was 25 years my father's junior, it was his second marriage, was pregnant at the time. And the child that she delivered became George Frederick Hewitt IV. And when he was born in September of 1943, my younger brother, he was not allowed to come home from the hospital because his skin was all burned 
And so my mother came home from the hospital. They weren't sure Jeff was going to live. He stayed in the hospital for about two weeks. And then he finally came home. And he lives here in Vermont, over in East Callis, outside of Montpelier, out the county road. And so I, I grew up, and I had a, a, a nice life. And in 1960, when my father died, I was going through our house and his papers and things, and I came across something that he had written probably during the summer of 1943. And I have, I'm going to read it to you. It'll take about 10 minutes. But it, it explains a lot about where my spirit comes from. This is my father writing. Life is a river, the source hidden by the remoteness of antiquity, the mouth beyond the kindly mists of the future. Although all things develop and change by evolution, that very evolution is a part of an incomprehensible design which must have originated in a controlling power. Call that power God or what you will. The magnificent laws of nature, the interrelationships of mathematics, physics, chemistry, art, and all the myriad expressions of preconceived design could not possibly have just occurred. To plan all this, the power must be a super engineer, dealing in terms of eternity. Waste is inefficient. No good engineer is wasteful. The byproducts of life cast aside, return to their natural elements, and again, th uh, pass through life the cycle. Rain falls, fields turn green, rivers run, oceans swell, and the sun again draws the drops into the clouds. That is finite. We can grasp it. Life as we know it ceases, be it long or short. We dread its cessation, but with no more logic than expressed by a child who resents bedtime as the marking of the end of the current and realizable day. The child awakens on the morrow. The hibernating animal resumes active ex existence the following season. Oil made by the alchemy of sunlight on age-old forests rises to the surface after dormant eons to give the heat and power absorbed before, by the, before the dawn of history. And so with the spirit, the essence, the impelling force which motivates our thoughts, 
our finite terrestrial actions. But when our finite portion is laid aside after slow decadence or instant annihilation, the infinite spirit persists. Perhaps it functions again here. Perhaps it assumes another body in another planet. Perhaps it remains nebulous, evanescent in a non-tangible field, but it does persist, having fulfilled its mission as we see it, well or ill. It passes to another advanced sphere to perpetuate the great engineer's infinitesimally incomprehensible plan of which our current existence is but a temporary incident. I know that Rick's spirit persists. His gallant spirit is neither wasted nor lost. And of that you and I will be aware when the great engineer's plan is consummated. Before Christianity, this thought was expressed, and I've tried to find the source of this quote, but it ends like this. Before Christianity, this thought was expressed. The wise in heart mourn not for him that lives, nor him that dies, nor I, nor thou, nor any one of these ever was not, or ever will not be forever and forever afterwards. So from that I draw, um, and, and as I say, I, I wasn't aware of that until that my father had written that until 1960 when we were breaking up the house and I was just getting ready to graduate from college. I was in my senior year at college and about to head off into the Navy myself. So that's really where I draw my spirit from, it, from my father's writing and uh, family. And Bruce, you know, I, I love that term, super engineer, you know, that... that well, my dad wasn't religious in the accepted sense. He, I never saw him go to church, in spite of the fact he took me to Sunday school from age five till about 15. You know, I, I, I had a... I went to the First Baptist Church in Montclair, New Jersey, and I had one of those little metal wreaths with... The, years, third year, fourth year, fifth year. I, I had it all the way down to my navel. It was, <laughs> I had, uh, oh, about 10 years worth of, and they got fancier as they went down, the little stamps of metal. So, you know, I had, I had, um, I was, I was brought up to go to church, but my parents would take me and drop me off <laughs> and then come back an hour later and pick me up and take me home. They didn't attend. Right. So, so how did you, how did you return to you to church? Uh, you mentioned you went into the Navy. Oh. Um, how did you come back to church in your life? 
Uh, I didn't come back to church until I moved to Burlington in 1965 and uh, with George Kidder, who was the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at the time at UVM and I was working at UVM. Um, he was at the College Street Church and uh, he asked me if I wanted to go and join the choir at First Church, which at uh, College Street Congregational Church, which so I did. 1965, and I sang in their choir for uh, three or four years. Luther Martin was uh, directing the uh, choir at that time from his hippie van, and uh, then I, I don't know, I, I stopped going to church, and then when Martin came to first church, uh, Gordon Stearns was the music director, and he was a great music director. Um, <laughs> so I joined, I joined the, uh, I don't think I joined the church right away, but I joined the choir right away. And, and I eventually realized I had to put my two cents into the plate. And so <laughs> I joined the church. Um, Bruce, you know, we all experience times of, struggle and doubt. Um, how, how did those, those times, how, how have they impacted your faith journey? And, and, your, and since the 1960s, how, how has your faith flourished and, and grown and through, through those times of struggle and doubt? Well, people like um, Martin Copenhaver, Sally May, Lucy Samara, Michael Samara, um, Alyssa now, you know, have, um, they speak to me. Their spirits speak to mine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and I believe, I believe that there is a great engineer and that we are not wasting away. Uh -huh. you've, you've had a great privilege, Bruce, of sitting side by side with many people through your hospice volunteer work. Yes. Where I think you've seen faith in action in so many different ways and from so many different perspectives and viewpoints. Um, I, I wonder if, if if you would mind sharing a little bit what fuels you about doing that kind of volunteer work and that, well, that time of connection with people. It's, um, you know, I've had a lot of disease myself. I've had six different cancers, um, some treated with surgery, some with chemo, some with radiation, some with combinations of chemo and radiation. Most of them I've been able to take care of here in Burlington. I, a couple of years ago, I had to go down to Boston and stay at Mass General um, for a couple of months while they uh, did some special radiation, anyhow. Um, and giving back through hospice volunteering or up at Hemunk, hematology oncology, where I wipe the chairs down between patients 
when they let us come in and volunteer. I know that it, that's important work mm -hmm. and I'm good at it. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the reason I think that I've survived all these diseases. I think this, my special purpose is volunteering. <laughs> that, it, it's kind of egotistical maybe to say that, but I know that it's important work and I know it's appreciated. So it's, those are the best moments when I'm able to go up to the hospital and serve on Fridays, or if I have a um, hospice client go to their homes, I request mails in their own homes. And I had a, a retired professor from UVM as my last client. I saw him from last August until December when he died. And his wife asked me to speak at his memorial service, which I did. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's so wonderful and it makes me feel so good. Uh, is that selfish? No, uh, you know. Well, you know, I, one of my questions was, uh, when do you see God alive and really present in your life? And I guess I'm feeling those are probably some of the moments that you might think of when you are with your, the, the people that you volunteer with. Yes, and or when, um, when I get a shout out from Melissa <laughs> or any, any, Lucy inspires me enormously. Mm -hmm. You know, People that understand me. Thanks, Lucy. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, and Sally May connected with me. Uh -huh. When I was down in the hospital in Massachusetts a couple of years ago, Sally was in connect, connected with me um, via email pretty regularly. It meant a lot to me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Bruce, are there aspects of what we call faith that you're really certain about? And are there aspects that you're not so certain about? I mean, what's really, when you think of faith, what do you, what, how do you define that? Well, uh, for me, it's the spirit participating um, making a difference mm -hmm. and the people that have inspired me the most including my parents and my brothers mm -hmm. are the ones that I've mentioned from church mm -hmm. so there's and that's enough if you have five or six really good friends people that understand you that's enough I don't need to be <laughs> uh, voted into office. <laughs> I've already got I've already got my little support system. <laughs> so it's it's the spirit, you know. And I'm I am a positive person, and I have chosen 
my closest friends to be positive people. Uh-huh. If I um, if I get a hospice client and after two or three visits, I realize that they're a sad sack and they're grouchy and they're unhappy with everything in life and they haven't got a smile, I call the office and ask for another client. I, I say, I'm not a good fit here. I, I don't want to spend time with somebody who's a sourpuss. Bruce, so many of us know you because you have this big smile when you're singing in front of the church. Well, fact, I, I had somebody tell me the other day that they specifically missed seeing you in front of church singing. Um, so I'm wondering about music. You've spoken about singing. Um, how does music express your faith? Well, music has probably been uh, a very, very important constant in my life. Uh, I grew up with music. I've been singing in church choirs. Uh, my older brother uh, plays the accordion uh, like you can't imagine. It's wonderful. When I was in college or when I was in high school, I joined an a cappella singing group and did that in high school for three years. And then when I was in college, I was in an acapella group of 12 men and we still get together. Mm -hmm. The ones who came after me, we still are able to put 12 to 18 people together two or three times a year to sing. Well, we'll we'll make a, uh, a deal with the Cornell Club of Cape Cod. And we'll go down and we'll sing, uh, we'll stay for two or three days and sing a concert for an hour and a half or two hours. And they'll sell tickets for 25 bucks a piece or whatever. And they keep the money to support the Cornell Club there. We go to California. We've been out in uh, California three, four times. We've been in Bermuda. We've been down in Florida at Vero Beach. We've been in Sarasota, Florida. We, we get together two or three times a year and sing. And we learn new music. So music has been very important to me. And some of my closest friends are members of the Sherwoods. <laughs> we called our, we were Robin Hood's band of merry men. So... All right, well, my last question before opening things up to others, uh, Bruce, is how, when you think of First Church, you've mentioned specific people, but maybe, maybe you could um, enlarge on that comment, because I'm curious about how our First Church community feeds your own faith. Well, by, by participating, um, being a part, feeling uh, a home within the church, um, being appreciated. Mm -hmm. And when, when I'm singing and smiling, I'm looking at somebody out there in the congregation and responding to them 
with my smile. It's not, I'm not just smiling at nothing. I know what. I've never seen him smile when we sing up front. Oh. I, I, I'm communicating or responding to something that I'm seeing out in the sitting in the pews. Yeah. Well, I, I think I speak for everybody in saying that, that you help build community that way because we all feel connected with your smile. So um, it's a two-way street. I know that uh, you get fueled by it and we do as well. Uh, yeah.